Well, good morning, church family. Let's try that again. We got about 30. Good morning, church family. All right. I'm going to preach to this side because that side didn't say anything. Good morning. Uh, there you are. There you are. Hey, uh, what a pleasure. What an honor to be here. Um, what an incredible uh, worship experience. That last song, I, we could go home on that, right? You know, oh, magnify the Lord and sing. Let us exalt his name. His name together. There's something powerful that happens when you sing about the name of Jesus. Amen. It's a different dynamic. Something happens when you just start lifting up the name of Jesus. The Bible says we lift Jesus higher. He'll draw all men unto himself. And that's what he's doing in our midst today. Families are being healed. Lives are being changed. Just because we begin to worship the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, listen, um, I hail from uh, this area. I pastor, as uh, Pastor Mo said, um, Connect Church. I was trying to remember the name of my church. Praise the Lord. I'm so, I'm so enthralled with the worship here. Uh, you know, I'm, I can't even remember the name of my church. Praise the Lord. But, yeah, it's Connect Church. I love, shout out to Connect Family. Um, that's your family, just so you know, extended family. And, um, and, and we've been pastoring there, my wife and I. I've been pastoring for 31 years. I know you're looking at me and saying he's just so young and handsome, and it's just impossible for that. I'm not as handsome as Josh, but I dress better. Praise the Lord. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Uh, I wish I had what he had. He wishes he had what I had. Praise the Lord. Anyway, I want his looks. He wants my wardrobe. Um, I digress. Happy birthday to Stephanie. Can we all give it up for Pastor Stephanie? If you're listening and watching, shout out. Pastor Josh, you better do something nice for her. It's a yes day for Stephanie today. I know he's watching. He's checking me out, making sure I'm staying on track. Whatever I mess up, he'll fix next week. Praise the Lord. Um, but anyway, I've been pastoring for uh, 31 years. Um, my wife and I have four beautiful kids, and uh, now we have three grandsons. And my youngest daughter just told me she's pregnant. Come on, somebody. So we're about to have another baby. Cannot wait. Uh, just love being a grandparent. It's the greatest thing ever. And uh, we're praying for, you know, we, we're happy with a baby boy, but we are praying for a baby girl. I am prophesying a girl. I just don't care. You know what I mean? My wife's like, you can't do that. I'm like, I'm doing it. I want a girl. I'm going on record. We're getting a girl. Praise the Lord. Turn your neighbor and say, he's getting a girl. Come on, believe with me. In fact, join hands right now. No, I'm just kidding. I need all of it. I need all the faith I can get. I need this girl to come. Where am I going to bestow all my blessings? Anyway, all right. Um, you going to let me pass to you guys right now? Will you let me do that? Get right into it. Amen. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the presence of God already in the room. I pray that nothing I say or do grieve the Spirit, quench the Spirit. We ask that you reside here, that you find um, residence here. You are welcome in this place. Um, ask, Lord God, that uh, the transformational word of God be made available, Lord, through me, your vessel, and, and um, humbly ask for your help in the delivery of this message in Jesus name and everybody said amen and amen thank you Bianca I messed it up last service but I remember you now give it up for Bianca come on she makes everybody sound better the Holy Ghost is here when Bianca's here praise the Lord 
Okay, so um, I'm for the AVL team. I apologize in advance. I might not do it exactly the way you have it. Um, I, I sometimes don't like being restrained or restricted by my notes, and so, but I'll do my best for you guys that are like no people and stuff. Uh, if if you got to have it all perfect, and you know, what was that scripture again? And what was that fill in the blank? Uh, come see me afterwards, and I'll help you out. Okay, but I'll do my best. Uh, but I need to do what God's called me to do, amen, and just say what he wants me to say. Okay, so here's the setup. Um, I think you guys would agree, most of you probably, that we're living in a crazy nuts world right now. And, um, and lines are being drawn. Um, there's a polarization tra- taking place like never before. And, and kind of like who's with us, who's against us kind of world that we're in right now. And, and, and you're seeing like, the redefinition of terms, uh, which really just is behind some of these separate separations. But in a really high level, what I was looking at in prayer as I was preparing this is the, the, the word tolerance has also been redefined. In other words, you get down to terms, they're being redefined, but but an overarching term is tolerance. In other words, the ability to kind of look at something from a different vantage point, a different view, without bigotry, without... Without you know um, uh, you know sliding somebody or cutting somebody necess- or, uh, somebody out of your life, practicing patience towards people that don't see things think the same way you do, and 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 because of that redefinition, let's just say of tolerance. I, I, for example, I remember uh, growing up where you would have friends and you would have cookouts with and kids would mingle with people that didn't think like you and believe like you it, that used to be normal now it's like whoa you know what you know and and so it's it's a different world and what i'm going to say is I, I i is not this isn't a political message this isn't about political people this message is a setup for powerful people okay this isn't about this is about about how to apply our theocracy to our democracy. This is about how to see one superimpose on the other, affect the other, influence the other. So some people will, will listen to what I say through a filter, through a windshield, and they'll use what I say uh, to become truth terrorists. I'll oh, use that truth and I'm just going to go in there and blow things up. And there's a lot of people like that, right? Yes or no? Okay. Some of you are like, there's one on my row. He's right next. No. <laughs> If you didn't say amen, you one of them people. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, sort of. Okay, so yet, yet we're called as Christians to, my dad used to say, if you don't stand for something, you fall for anything. And so we've got to learn how to create a pivot foot with our belief systems. And our belief systems should affect our world and influence our world, right? And the question is, how to do that? How do you do that right? How do you do that well? Or why don't we do that? Or what gets in the way of that is kind of what I want to talk about. And, and some of the reason is, is, is not what you think it is. Some people think the reason I'm not the influence that I need to be, and this is where the enemy is insidious and, and, and he tries to um, sideline us, is we get preoccupied with the what we believe more than the whom we have believed. It's, it's not so much what you need to have all these answers And so the enemy's got everybody on their computers seeking God through Google, trying to figure out what are the answers to all the problems we have, instead of seeking God to help us affect the people that are in our sphere of influence. It's not what, it's who. Are you with me, everybody? It's not an answer, it's an authority that God wants to put on your life to make you an influence on other people's lives. In Jesus' name, are you with me? 
When I was younger, I'm going to have a lot of younger uh, examples today in the message today because I, I'm still living in the past, you know. <laughs> so the, my best years were in my past. No, I'm just kidding. But I can remember when I was a paper boy. Okay, and for some of you uh, younger people, we used to have newspapers. Like, you didn't go to Google, you like, Google came to your front doorstep. And you didn't know what was going on in the world unless you got a newspaper. How many out, out there know what I'm talking about? Just raise your hand, okay? So, some of you remember that. Well, I was the guy that delivered the newspaper, okay? And then I got so good at it that I was the guy that delivered the bundles of newspapers to the end of the street, not to the end of the driveway, and then the newspaper boys and girls would go to the end of the street, get their bundles, and then they would deliver them to the doors. Are you with me, everybody? Why am I telling you this? Because God was sharing this with me. He was like, son, the good news has been printed. It's done. It's printed. It's good news. not bad news like the newspaper had bad and good news, but God's news is good news. It's been printed, but that printed press will rot in the rain at the end of the street if the church of Jesus Christ doesn't pick up the good news as the delivery system for the word and bring it house to house. That hasn't changed, everybody. That's still, it's, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his plan is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you're his plan. You're his plan A. You are the carriers, the newspaper boys and girls, the carriers of the current of Christ to the world. And, and, and if you don't, it won't. If you don't deliver it, it won't be received. Are you with me, everybody? And so we've got to figure out how to be bold in a broken, busted, jacked up, you know, people lost their God-loving minds world. This isn't good English. This is good preaching, okay? <laughs> so you're his plan A. But there's something that gets in the way of you being his plan A, and that's really what I want to talk about. And I, I'll, I'll use this illustration. This illustration is a season of my life, but applies to all seasons, all stages, all ages. I remember being, by the way, thank God we're, I'm, I'm in Massachusetts because you guys can handle it when I talk fast. But when I pray and speak in the South, people are like, you know, like he talks so fast. I think I talk fast for Massachusetts, but uh, it's because I'm highly caffeinated. Okay. Praise the Lord. I'm kidding. It's the Holy Ghost. Um, but when I was in eighth grade, I remember, and, and, and this is kind of my life story, but I'm going back to where it started. I was totally preoccupied with acceptance. I mean, it was a problem, okay? And I think all of us are like acceptance magnets. We gravitate towards acceptance from something or someone, and oftentimes it's the wrong thing and the wrong person that we get, try to get it from. And so we all have this. That's why I say it's all stages, all ages. But just go with the, go with the story. So I'm, I'm in the eighth grade. I'm totally preoccupied with that. It, I didn't realize quite how bad it was, how debilitating it was, how diminishing it was to my relationship with God and my relationship with others until a day of reckoning came, which I'll come to. But I remember, like, for example, in the seventh grade, backing up, I remember being in English class. I had a teacher who was... Uh, former military. He reminded me of my father. I actually remember going to the class and I thought, oh my God, my father's the teacher. Because he was super strict, military background. And I thought, this is going to be really, really rough. And he was. But this was English class. English class was actually my strength. I was, I was good at talking and I was good at writing. And yet, in this class, I nearly failed the class because he had this one rule. And the rule was, every time you speak out loud, if you're caught, you lose one point off your final grade. 
For me, <laughs> you, you would think for most people that would be a deterrent. But for me, I could not stop. I could not resist the temptation to get somebody to laugh. I lost 26 points off my final grade. I'll never forget it. My father was very upset about that. And those two, those two ball-headed military guys went nose to nose over that. But, but I just, I could not stop. I was so preoccupied with what people thought. And, and, it, and it just it kind of went to a climax when I got to the eighth grade. I heard about this election that took place every year. Specifically, the eighth grade class would elect a president of the class. I didn't know what this had to do with anything. But here's how my broken filter heard what this was about. This, I, I didn't know about the responsibilities. I didn't know how you're, you're head of student government, that you have different people on that student government, that your job was to interface the student needs and, and communicate that to the, to the administration and the administration to the student needs. That, that was going to be, I didn't know any of that. All I heard was whoever's the president is the most popular man in the school. And, and, and so, absolutely, I'm running. So I'm running for this office. You know, I've got my mantra. I've got my, I've got my campaign. You know, I vote for S.I. Fry. You know, S.I. Fry standing for Sports Illustrated. That's what my basketball coach used to call me. Why did he call me that? He said, because all your shots look good, but they don't go in. <laughs> Never mind that second part, okay? S.I. Fry, vote for S.I. Fry. That was my, my, my slogan name. And anyway, somehow... By the grace of God, I had to kill, steal, steal. You know, no, I didn't do that. But I had to beg and borrow to win. But I won. And I became the eighth grade class president. And I was the most popular man in the school for one day. It was awesome for 24 hours. But then I found out that the second day, you have to bring a class speech with vision for the school to the whole school and parents. Now, this will seem weird now because it is weird now, but back then, my greatest fear was not talking to like me and Mo on the side or even in the class. My greatest fear was being on a platform talking to a group of people. You know why? Because behind this approval addiction was a poser. I didn't have behind the mask and the facade a congruent person. There was brokenness, and there was fear, and there was all kinds of things that were going on. And one of them was just this need for acceptance, and it was, it was, it was taking me over. And so that next day, I, I have this reckoning. There were two reckonings. The first reckoning was the day I had to bring the class speech, and the second reckoning was when I had to go before the cabinet and give instruction for the rest of the year. I didn't know what a cabinet was. I thought it was something you see in a kitchen that you put Tupperware in. And I remember, if that, that was a bad day, the next day, but I remember getting ready, I'm sitting on the chairs, and like, now we'd like to introduce for the first time in whatever year it was, I'm not going to say it because it's so embarrassing, it's long ago, the first time, our new class president, Derek Fry, and I get up there, I'm, I'm nervous as a cat, I'd stayed up all night, I don't know what a, how this is going to come out, and I stand right here, and my parents walk right through the door at that very moment, whom I did not invite. Dum, dum, dum. That's what you hear, the music, right? I, I, shame comes over me. And the reason I didn't invite him was because I was, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed, you know, for, for who I really was, what they would see, because my world and that world didn't coincide. They were not congruent. I was a different person at school than I was in church world. And on top of that, I was afraid my daddy was going to come out with the biggest Bible on the planet. If you know my daddy, he carried this massive King James Bible, you know? 
It's funnier than you realize if you grew up the way I did. My daddy and I used to get on an elevator, and we'd go from the first floor to the fifth floor. There'd be 20 people on the elevator. By the time we got to the fifth floor, it was just me, my daddy, and my Bible. Everybody cleared out. That is funny. But anyway, those, those experiences, I bring those up because I had to receive some freedom and some revelation that I want to share with you because that's just not me then and you in your past. That's affecting the whole church right now. And it has the church crippled, crippled Christians that are not able to share the good news with people around them because of what's happening in our world today. And I think this is highly relevant. Can I have an amen? amen. Here's, here's what happens. I'm going to double down on this. Most people, not so much this church, but other churches that I go to, get saved, they give their life to Jesus, they transfer trust from themselves to Jesus. And what happens, and this happens in my church, I see this where people, they give their life to Jesus and they do one of two things. They get, they get out of the world and they decide to insulate, no, I'll say this, isolate themselves from the world. The Bible says that we're supposed to be separate in our hearts, not in our lives. And so I isolate myself from the world. Now I'm not connected to anybody in the world at all because I don't want to be infected by them. Okay? Or we go to this other side over here. I give save, get saved. I give my life to Christ. I transfer trust to him. I've got the heaven package. I got the get out of jail free card. Praise the Lord. But now they go right back into the world and acclimate with the world, behave like the world. There's no distinctive. There's no difference whatsoever. So they're not making a difference because I don't want to come across as judgmental or critical or pious or better than anybody else. And so on both sides, nobody's making a difference for God. And the reason is the fear of man. The fear of man. Are you with me, everybody? Am I preaching to some people in here? And the fear of man is, is, is it, it worketh a snare. A snare. And, and so this is why, in my experience as a pastor, um, this, because of this, most people relegate, I'll use specifics, evangelism to professional Christians. Do you, do you guys realize this? And I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to build you up, okay? I'm not trying to break you. I'm breaking you down to build you up, but I'm not tearing you down. Most Christians never lead somebody into a vibrant faith in Jesus Christ because of what I'm talking about today, okay? This is why. This is why many people never get to move people from darkness to light and help people cross that line of faith. It's because of what I'm talking about today. But we all have this responsibility. We all are minist We all have been given, 2 Corinthians 5, if you need Bible for it, the ministry of reconciliation. We're all ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We're all called uh, to be messengers for him. And so you can't shy away, hide away. You're not supposed to, with your poor lifestyle, get in the way. You're supposed to actually, as Christ follows, show people the way, the truth, and the life through your life and through your words. Can I have an amen or an oh me out there? So, some Bible for you. The Apostle Paul says it like this. He reads tons of people for Jesus. Radical Christ follower. First Chronicles 9.19 says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to everyone, so that I may win more for Christ. So what is he saying? He's saying, I'm free from all people, but I'm a slave to all people. Look how he flips the script. 
He's basically saying, I can't need something from them, but I'm called to give something to them. I can't need their approval, but I'm called to serve them, touch them, heal them, share the love of God with them, pray for them, be there for them. But I can't do that if I'm not free from them first. I can't be called to them second. Are you with me? So a lot of times we don't understand what do we need to be free from? We need to be free from the fear of man because we're actually called to go back to the people that, were, uh, that we weren't free from. So just like, again, humbly, I want to say this. I don't have time to qualify, but I knew I, I saw signs and symptoms of real freedom when some of the people that I needed their approval from when I was a young person are now in my church and I'm pastoring them. Or, or gave their life to Jesus because I could pastor them because I, I wasn't afraid of them and what I needed from them. Are you with me? And this doesn't happen because of the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25 says, Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. King James, my daddy's favorite, he said, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth, I, I, I put it in the golf terms, whoso putteth, it's putteth, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. So the word there, snare, is what happens. And that's why I call this message the snare of care. See, snare in, in, in this particular text, which is in the Old Testament, in the original language is Hebrew. Hebrew uses word pictures, and the word picture is a bird caught in a trap. Now, birds weren't meant to be trapped. Birds were meant to fly. Birds were meant to soar. Birds were meant to step out of the safety of that next nest and the comfort of that next, literally step off a precipice so they could experience something that nobody could possibly imagine or even think, and that is fly. And God's trying to paint a picture for you that if you don't get rid of the fear of man, you've literally snipped your wings. The things that God wants to do through you have been cut off from you because of this snare of the fear of man. Are you with me? But yet when you're free from it and you begin to fly, you're actually safer, safer as, as a bird in the air than a bird in a tree. Can I have an amen out there? Praise the Lord. So here's our big idea if you're taking notes. The fear of man not only brings a snare, but it makes it so that you don't even care. The fear of man makes it to the point where you don't recognize, you don't realize, you don't see that you're not caring about the people that God is so concerned about. And so instead, it's easier to polarize myself from people that I don't agree with and fall prey to the same deception that the world is trying to permeate uh, around with everybody else, this secular mindset of, of intolerance. Or we're over on the other side where we're just acting like the rest of the world, making no difference. See, God wants you to be free from the fear of man so you can touch people, heal people, and help people who are there. And I didn't see that when I was in the eighth grade. I didn't see how, because of uh, shame of my, of my circumstances, my situation, how that was keeping me from influence when, when my parents came through the door. I didn't realize how, uh, because of the fear of man, the responsibility that I had as a president was being, uh, you know, um, diminished. The opportunity that God had given me to, to be a positive influence on an entire class, all because of the fear of man. And you're having those same kind of situations in your life. There are things you're missing out on, things you're not experiencing that God has for you because of this snare. And it affects us in everyday life. Point in case. And, and these are, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present some highlights for you. 
uh, some testimonies, but trust me when I say I've failed more at this than, than, I'm, te- than I'm saying, but I want to build you up, okay? But many of you know what a spirit prompting is. In other words, you see a need and, and, and God through you prompts you to do something about that. A spirit prompting, okay? And what happens is when you, be, when you, gave, when you gave your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit uh, be, gives you certain gifts. And, and we talk about that in, in, our, in our journey here at IFC. You learn about your gifts, but the Spirit will prompt you. But if you don't respond to those promptings of the Holy Spirit and, and you keep turning the volume down, the Holy Spirit will go on to someone else to fulfill that task. And you missed out. You missed out on that opportunity. Are you with me? And that happens all the time. But let's talk about the opportunities that if you step into them, what happens? So I've had situations. By the way, I see this every day. People won't even pray at the dinner table. I I go to the South because I I travel in the South a lot. My my, my wife's family's from the South. She's uh, from Alabama, Southern Belle. Praise the Lord. I won. Arm wrestle. She's here. Married a Yankee. But, man, everybody prays in the South. Now, of course, everybody's a Christian there. Christian there. But, uh... But up here, sometimes we're even ashamed to do that. But you don't understand how many things can happen as a byproduct of that. You're missing these blessings. I remember being uh, at, at a gym uh, in Natick, Mass. Uh, I, I'm a former powerlifter, uh, by the way. I, I'm just a hacker now, but I was a competitive powerlifter for 20 years. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's a very boring sport. We just pick things up, put them down. Very simple sport. Nothing super intellectual. Not a lot of words used. A lot of grunting. A lot of monosyllabic tones. Uh, sniffing, smelling salts, protein shakes, raw meat. Okay, that's my world. But I grew up in this gym that was, all these elite athletes were there. And there was these two guys that were, uh, they were junior national strongman, uh, strongman uh, competitors. And one of them, uh, Nick, 300 plus pound human being, had a 940 pound deadlift. If you, if you, if ladies, if you don't know what that means, just try to pick up an 18 wheeler from the back end. And so... This particular guy, and, and this gym, by the way, they, they, I had made it known, which is wise whenever you start in a new environment, to get your faith out there. That's why I think men who don't wear their wedding rings are fools, because you want to get it out there and married, but you also want to get it out that you're married to Jesus. You need to get, get it out early that you're a Christ follower. You need to make sure people know where you stand really, really early on. So, so everybody knew me, and I introduced myself as PD, and they would say, what does that mean? I'd say, well, well that's a short for Pastor Derek. I'm a pastor. Bam. Right away. They're like, oh, cool. So just call me PD. It's just, a, you know, you don't have to call me Reverend. Please don't call me Reverend. You know what I mean? Um, but anyway, they call me PD. So everybody knew he was PD. So when Nick was deadlifting, this one particular deadlift, uh, he hurt himself and he actually tore his bicep in the middle of the gym. Disgusting injury. It's like a bicep goes right up in, like a curtain right up into your shoulder. And when he did that, he screams out, PD, come here. And so when a 300-pound behemoth calls you that way, you naturally run, okay? And so I'm running. I'm like, what's up? What's up, Nick? What's up? He goes, Man, look what happened. I'm like, Ugh. And he's like, I need you to pray for me. And I'm like, okay. He's like, right now. I'm like, right now? You know, you would have thought I was a man of faith and power, but I was a man of paste and flour in that moment, okay? Like, right now? Like, in front of, yes. And, and, and without hesitation, he gets, this big guy gets down on his knees. Praise the Lord, because if he didn't, I, I wouldn't have been able to reach him. And he gets down on his knees and says, pray for me. And so I'm like, okay, all right. Here we go. A few smelling sauce. Here we go. We're going in, you know. It's funny for the weightlifters. But anyway, 
I put my I put my hands on his shoulders and I pray and I pray God heal him quickly and restore it and heal his bicep and if it doesn't get healed give me his biceps Lord I'd be good with that I'm sorry Lord it's about Nick not me it's about Nick not me and I continue to pray for him that a miracle would come and and long story short his recovery was miraculous okay like really really fast and but more than that that in that moment the whole gym watched me pray for this huge well-known national athlete right now listen listen just listen no you don't need to clap for me i promise i'm okay uh so many opportunities came about as a result of being willing to pray for somebody and not succumb to the fear of man for example for example my friend donna warren who could be watching now she was in the room not a christian watched that months later she had an injury with her hand and the doctor said she had some form of arthritis and it was keeping, she was an athlete and she, it was keeping her from being able to work out. She, and she asked me in the middle of the gym, would you pray for me? You would have thought I would have prayed right away. But I was like, right now? Here? Yes, yes. I want you. I'm so, so anyway, okay. Smelling salts. No, I'm just kidding. I pray for her. She was qu quickly healed. Not immediately. But more than that, my friend Donna Warren, who's a sister in Christ now, gave her life to Jesus. I led her to Jesus. Gave her her first Bible. Put her, she's watching from, she's an online member of our church, and she started a small group down on the Cape, all because I was not, I did not succumb to the fear of man. And boldness is when an opportunity pops up, you speak up. And you step up at the Spirit's promptings. And God is prompting you all the time in his operations on the earth that you are the compassion agent for the church of Jesus Christ, but it's getting thwarted so often because of the fear of man. Are you with me? The fear of man, by definition, is when you put someone's approval above God's approval. I was having my devotions a while back now, and I was journaling. I'm not a good journaler, but I was journaling this. And I put it in my notes. I'm going to read it just like I had it. How do you know if you have it? How do you know if you have it, the fear of man? And these were just some of the questions I was asking myself. So I want you to just think about these questions and let them, let them permeate you. Derek, do you often need something from others? Do you crave compliments? Are you ever afraid that you might be exposed as an imposter? Are you overly concerned with how you look, how, you, how much you weigh, or how you're dressed? Do you think about your self-esteem a lot? Do you take selfies every second? Sorry, that, I put that in there. That wasn't in the notes. <laughs> do you often feel painfully unappreciated? Do you make excuses for your bad behavior? Do you justify your mistakes or shift the blame because you can't handle the thought of failing in front of people? Do you show favoritism to certain people who approval, whose approval you crave? Are you overcommitted? Do you have a hard time saying no so you say yes to everything? If you say no, then you'd be letting them down, and that would cost you their approval. Do you get easily embarrassed? I could go on. There's so many different things like this. See, the fear of man is a constant desire, lust, in a sense, to be noticed or not noticed, to be a, but, but to be approved of, to matter to someone. And the outcome, listen, this is where I'm going with this. The outcome is, as a result of this problem with the fear of man, this issue with the fear of man, it leads to disobedience to the Holy Spirit and missed opportunities from the Holy Spirit. You're the bird still in the nest or in the, or in the trap. 
And, and, and I don't think God's in heaven trying to emphasize the disobedience to him. I actually think he's trying to emphasize the missed opportunities from him in our lives. And I think God is up there in so many words saying, Derek, you're going to live for the fleeting approval of that instead of the eternal approval from this. And, and I used to have this, uh, I'll talk about what it looks like. What does it look like to walk free? Uh, you can take this down if you're taking notes. You got to walk in the authentic you, authentic you. I think we should be, I heard one person say, we should be authentic with everyone, transparent with someone. So you can't be transparent with everybody, but you're authentic with everybody. But a lot of people struggle to be authentic. And I saw this show up. I was talking to a, a sweet girl in the last, um, after the last service, and she has a, a, really a gift of communication, and she, it's in its raw state. But I was, I was thinking about her, but I was thinking about my son, too. I remember when my son first started preaching. My son's preaching today. He's my, he's my plan A. Praise the Lord in my church. Jesus, please keep it. Uh, but uh, he's an awesome, awesome leader. But I remember when he first started communicating, we, would have, we, we were concerned as parents that he would find his voice. You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about a singing voice. I'm talking about what did God imprint upon him that he was supposed to say to the world? What was his message to the world? What was his style? What was his approach? He's born with a, a certain message for the world today. But I could hear the messages of other people. I literally could lay, oh, that's so-and-so. Or that's, I can hear that coming on my voice. And some of that's normal. You're, sometimes you have to adopt the vision of someone else until God gives you your own. But many people never get their own vision and they never get their own voice. And we live, you know, communicating like we're some, I did it. I remember used to follow this guy years ago. His name was Larry Lee. For some of the old timers, this guy was uh, the, a prayer monster. You know, he was teaching people how to pray for an hour. Can you not pray? Can you not tarry one hour was his big theme. But Larry Lee had this beautiful flowing hair, just like me. <laughs> what? Uh, but his hair, he was like a male Farrah Fawcett. You know, his hair went back like this, and then it came like in a wing in the back. And, and anybody that was a proselyte of him uh, would recognize this. But when he would preach, he'd be like, oh, in the name of Jesus. And he'd shake his head, and, and it looked like a fish going in through the water. You know, and it, like a fish. And so all the proselytes, all the followers of Larry Lee would do that, including myself. So I'm like, and Father, we just thank you that you've called us to pray, if not for just an hour. Lord, we tarry here with you in the name of Jesus. And I would do that, and everybody look at me like, what is the matter with him? Does he have Tourette's? Like, um, seriously, something wrong with him. It's, I'm bald and beautiful. I need to be me. I'm not Larry Lee. I'm not my father. I'm not Chris Hodges. Uh, I got to be me, and you got to be the authentic you. Don't be a second-rate copy of a first-rate you. Make sure that you're wearing the armor that God gave you to wear, not somebody else's armor, everybody. Can I have a better amen from this church? Come on, somebody. God gave you gifts. You know when you got saved, he gave you gifts. Gifts are these supernatural divine enablements. The charisma, the charis. He gave, it's not grace gifts. It's not just a pretty girl's name or something you say when you pray before your meal. These grace gifts are supernatural abilities. But most Christians, in my opinion, don't know what they are. That's why you should go through the process here to figure out what the heck your gifts are. But when you got saved, you got them. These superpowers, like utility belt for Batman, like, I don't know, they're there for you. But many people are dislocated from their gifts. They're attached to you by salvation, but they're dislocated from you because of the fear of man. 
It's like a person whose shoulder is out of socket. Is my, is my arm still connected to my body? Yes, but it's dislocated. Some of you have dislocated gifts. I'm going to prophesy to some of you in this room. Some of you need to pop that thing right back into the shoulder through the word of God and get your gifts back activated, being used for God, but that won't happen until you get set free from the fear of man. Amen? You don't know how powerful you are. You don't know how much you've been given. God has amazing things he wants to do through you. But second thing you do have to do is you have to get over the thumbs down. Many people are so preoccupied, they're, they're just uncomfortable with some disapproval once in a while. Somebody doesn't like you preaching. I remember when I first started preaching at my church, God gave me vision, God gave me my style, my voice, and I'd go out to the door right out there, and I'd greet people on the way out, and this guy used to come out every Sunday. He'd say, oh, Pastor Derek, that was almost as good as your daddy. Can I just be honest for a second? I'm going to be. But I remember when he first started doing that, like the first thought in my head was, I want to punch you in the face. Okay? I was just so frustrated. I remember when we started going on YouTube. Uh, you know, our, 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 our young leaders, we started hiring more young leaders, and they were, they were kind of hip, and I was caught, you know, back in the days of Methuselah, and we needed to get up to speed. And so we started, like, getting stuff on YouTube. And I remember my son said, Dad, you, Dad, you should go online. You should see. Look at all these views. Look at all these views. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Monday night. Day after church. By the way, pastors, don't go online on Monday nights, okay? So I go online Monday night to see our YouTube page, and I'm like, oh, it's pretty cool. Look at all these views. That's cool. Look at that. But what's, and I see this one thumbs down thing. And the first thought that went through my head is, I want to ask that guy some questions. I would like to meet him and share the love of Jesus with him. As a former power lifter, I had to learn to live with this problem. Paul talks about this, everybody. Galatians 1.10, he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? You got to decide. Or am I trying to please people? If, everybody say if. Two-letter powerful word. If I was still trying to please people, look what happens. I would not be a servant of Christ. See, if you're trying to please people, it's going to cancel out your ability to serve people, help people, share with people. That is the snare of care. Your preoccupation with what people think, John 12, 43, for they loved human praise more than the praises of God. And so approval, is it bad? No, it's not bad. Approval from man is not bad. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. But the approval of God, approval of man was never meant to be the meal. It was only meant to be the supplement to your life. Many people have made their all their nourishment that they receive emotionally and, and really secondarily spiritually from what people think about you. You can't live for that. It's just the bonus, everybody. When you, when you applause or you say amen, that's the bonus. I can't live for that. I don't want a church that I pastor that's a crowd of people. I want a church, everybody. I'm not trying to get a big crowd. I can say a lot of things to have bigger crowds, but I want to say the right thing so we raise the church of Jesus Christ to go back out into the world and be a mobile newspaper you know, delivery system for God, everybody. And so we live sometimes for these quick fixes and, and the enemy provides all these little new things, these little stimulants that kind of give you the thumbs up in your mind. But really it comes with a great low and a great crash after that. Stimulants do that, right? You know, you get highs from sugar, but the enemy's provided social sugars 
that give you these temporary highs and these huge, huge lows. And I see pastors and leaders so distracted because they, the, they can't live with the thumbs down. In the early stages of my pastorate, I remember uh, God giving me vision, much like he did for this church, where there was, where there was a transition from a, 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 a strong leader to a new leader. My father was 40 years a pastor, everybody. It has a very similar story to this church. But, and, and, that, and that transition was successful, painful but successful, similar to this. But I can remember that, that I had to step into the vision that God gave me. And it, it was, it, there was uniqueness to it. It wasn't one was wrong and one, uh, one was right. It was a uniqueness to it. And you need to step into that. And, and I had to first step into that as a leader. And your pastor has stepped into that as a leader in this church. And the best thing for you to do is get behind that. But I can remember in the early stages being challenged with the vision that God gave me. And people came into the church and they weren't supporting it right away. And I remember going out the door uh, one day and this guy said he wanted to have a meeting with me. I had a meeting with him. We went into a private room. And he basically, he and his wife told me that he's not going to support the vision of this church and, and, and we're out of here and I remember saying to him well first of all he was a head can I say it like I want to say it yeah. I was asked that but then you know I'm going to do it anyway right <laughs> this guy was a heavy hitter okay like at the particular time like 25% of the budget came through this one couple just to give you an idea and he told me that I, I can't support the vision I really don't I think you're going the wrong direction I have some issues with you and I remember I just thinking, I can't turn this. I don't know how to turn this around. And I remember them going out the door. <laughs> if I'm totally honest, at first, my first response was, I can change. <laughs> what, what vision would you like? Just write it down. Send it to me. I'll make some, give me a week with the staff. That's just being honest, right? But he went, I remember driving away and I'm looking through the blinds. I'm being honest. I got down on my knees and I broke. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he's like, how much is your vision worth, son? And are you going to live for that couple's approval or mine? And can I tell you, three months later, that couple's replaced by not just one, but a dozen couples who were fully supporting the vision, who were ready to go forward, who were ready to take a hill for God and take a bullet for me and my wife. And that same thing is here in this church. But you got to get over you got to get over the thumbs down. Can I have an amen? Number three, you got to stay out of the ditch. Stay out of the ditch. I'll make this point really fast because in some respects I've already made this point. But if you imagine yourself, this is what can happen to you. you gotta, you got to be careful. We, we teach this thing, um, these life-giving principles, but we teach about the tree of knowledge and the tree of good and evil. And what happens is we're supposed to live out of the, the tree of life, not the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But like monkeys... We sometimes swing between trees. I'm in the tree of life today, and then something happens, and I'm back over here on this other tree. Okay, similar to that, sometimes we're this way in our relationship with God and people. It's like a plank. You're walking a plank. One side of the plank is a ditch. The other side of the plank is another ditch. One ditch is, I don't care about what people think. The other side of the ditch is, I care so much about what you think. God wants you to walk on this plank where you care to share, but you will not be controlled by what they think. Their words have weight, but they do not have control. Stay out of the ditch. Turn to your neighbor and say, stay out of the ditch, everybody. Because the, the most powerful people on the planet, listen, are free people. Free people. God wants you to be free, okay? Free to serve him, free to obey, free to step up when he says step up and step out when he says step out. Amen? Joseph, I'll end with this. 
Joseph was an incredible example in the Bible of somebody who was free. And I don't think sometimes this is highlighted, but his story is from Genesis 39 to Genesis chapter 50. You can look it up. You can check it out for yourself. But Joseph interpreted dreams, which summarized, simply put, is secrets from heaven were given to him. Why would God give Joseph secrets of heaven? Because he knew he would say them. He would be obedient to them. In one occasion, look it up for yourself, on one occasion early in his spiritual journey, God gave him the interpretation of one man's dream, and he told the man, you're going to be blessed. Another time, imagine, another time, he, he, he interprets the dream, and he says, but you, you're going to die. I'm telling you, you got to be free to do that, but you got to be more free to be able to do this. And if you follow his life a little bit further down the road, I think while that is happening, God from heaven is looking down and he's saying, my son is free. And so I'm going to continue to give him secrets. His gift, his, his arm is in the socket that can, that can describe these things that I'm giving to him. And, and I believe I can give him more. And so he ultimately gives him the interpretation of the Pharaoh's dream. And this same person, because he was free and free people are the most powerful people, he became the most second most powerful person on planet earth at that time i'm just trying to tell you if we get free from this you're going to have opportunities that you cannot even imagine would you stand to your feet would you let me pray for you and i'm going to turn this over to to pastor mo how many received something from this word today anybody praise the lord i i want you to just However you can cooperate. I'm not going to tell you, but I recommend you just raise your hands. And I'm going to pray as an apostolic leader of this church and an overseer. I'm going to pray a special blessing, um, not because of who I am, but just because of the office that God gave me. I pray that he, that he respond to this. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for International Family Church in the season that it's in right now. I thank you, Lord God for the people that are in this room. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would set them free from people so that they can take care of, love, touch, share, pray for, heal, help, share with people in Jesus' name. Lord, I come against a spirit of intimidation. Intimidation can have two forms. Intimidation can make us shy away from people and it can make us try to hurt and be harmful to people. Either side of intimidate. Peter was intimidated. Peter was intimidated by a little girl and Peter was the intimidated. He would cut a man's ear off and he would even confront the Savior. But it was still the spirit of intimidation. It's a spirit, and it must be confronted as a spirit. And so, Father, as your servant, I confront this spirit of intimidation upon any person in this church that has been subject to it, submitted to it, affected and infected by it. I rebuke the spirit of intimidation over this church. God has not given you a spirit of intimidation or fear. God has given you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Set International Family Church, Lord God, so that it can fulfill its purpose, its destiny, and do all that you've called it to do. We come against the snare of care, and we thank you that you're going to do amazing things through this local church in Jesus' name. Come on, church. Say, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Love you all.